and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, putting on the old man hat in this segment of the show, going back to the good old days. We always want to talk about the good old days, but I want to talk about this. I think this is an important, valuable lesson for people. There are two lessons to be learned in American politics, I think, today that candidates need to know and need to consider and need to think about. Number, And they both come from Ronald Reagan. First of all, Ronald Reagan was someone who didn't just become Ronald Reagan overnight. Ronald Reagan gave a speech in the 1960s for Barry Goldwater, I believe it was 1964. He gave a speech that was what was considered to be his coming out party. And it was called A Time for Choosing. And he gave this speech, and I think even then in 64, he raised a million dollars for Barry Goldwater that night. And uh, But the speech was so compelling, and it, was, it moved so many people on the Republican side of the aisle. People were, they were really looking at like, Man, who is this Reagan guy? It was 20 years before Reagan got reelected by winning 49 of 50 states to be reelected president. There was a growth period there, becoming governor of California and building a reputation and building a platform and building a set of ideals and a plan moving forward. And I think we miss a lot of that. I've talked about this before. This is directly, we're talking about inflation, but I want to talk about the messaging of this. So Ronald Reagan was able to, he just was a great communicator. And so he was able to communicate his thoughts in a way that a lot of people didn't. He had a gift that many people didn't have. But it still is something that can be conveyed by the average candidate. What we need to do, why we need to do it, how we're going to do it, and what results we're going to get. That's what we should be laying out to the American people. Now, we spend a lot of time in American politics, and it is the state that it is, good, bad, or indifferent, where you are either attacking your opponent directly or your opponent is attacking attacking you, and you're having to defend yourself against personal attacks. In the end, I think a lot of people get tired of it. You see the Democrats are going to vote for Dems, and Republicans are going to vote for Republicans, and everybody rolls their eyes when they see the campaign ads on TV. But when you have statistics like we have now, where inflation continues to grow. Food is getting more expensive. We are hearing about the tightening of the food market because American crops aren't what they should be. We're going to talk a little bit later on about this and also about the fact that uh, energy prices are going up 7.5% over last year for, for natural gas. Electric bills are going up a dramatic amount as well. So people are feeling the pinch. Well, what drives people away from the electorate are two things in my, uh, in my estimation. One is corruption, that they don't believe that any politician is honest, that once you get to D.C., you may go there a good person, but you get corrupted by virtue of what's happening there. The other part of it is that it's self-serving, that when someone goes to Washington, D.C. or to the state legislature, that they end up going there and serving themselves. It is about the bills they write and the speeches they give and the laws they make, and their constituents seem to take a back seat. Whether that's real or not, that's the perception. The other lesson about Reagan is that Reagan was able to – the communication aspect of what he did, he talked to Americans. He was a staunch Republican. There's no doubt about that. And when he was in a room full of Republicans, he preached the Republican sermon, and he was funny, and he was clever, and he was made excellent points. But when he was president of the United States, he spoke to the American people. The phrases he used, we are the shining city on the hill. That's not a Republican talking point. That's an American talking point. We are the world's last best hope. You know, if freedom dies here, where will it ever live? 
the things that Reagan said, if you remember, I believe it was Christmas Eve when when uh, Poland was going through such troubles and the Pope was uh, was from Poland at the time and he developed a relationship with the Polish Pope. And they put a candle in the window as a beacon of freedom to stand with the people of Poland. And it was an American principle that, you know, we are standing with other nations that are yearning to be free. And who can ever forget the statement, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And then the wall fell. There was there was an Americanism about Ronald Reagan that transcended politics. It's why that Ronald Reagan was reviled while he was in pres- the president of the United States by many people, um, you know. And there were uh, there were scandals and other things that happened when Ronald Reagan died. Uh, not only was Margaret Thatcher at her funeral, so was Mikhail Gorbachev. Mikhail Gorbachev was at Reagan's funeral because of the respect he had for his adversary going back to the Cold War. But the nation mourned. If you remember the procession through Washington, D.C., the riderless horse with the boots turned backwards, it was not anything like we saw uh, this week with the Queen of England, but it was a sign of respect from both sides of the aisle. And it's because of the American that Ronald Reagan was. He was partisan in his beliefs. He believed in conservative Republican principles, and that's what he stood on. That's what he wanted. That's what he strived for. But he spoke to the American people about the issues that mattered most. So I know I'm kind of pontificating about Reagan, but we're looking at a time in this country where inflation is not just hammering Republicans. It is not just hammering Democrats or independents. It is hammering working families. That, you know, that's the people I think of. Those are my people. I grew up hand to mouth. I grew up in a house where money was always tight. I told you about the joke in families now. My brother's family, you know, they get paid every other week as cops. They get paid every two weeks like a lot of us do. And the kids grew up knowing a phrase. There's pay week and there's poor week. And, you know, you don't ask your parents for anything on poor week. You're going to wait till they get paid. And tight money does not make you a bad family or bad parents. As a matter of fact, there are many times I wouldn't change my childhood, except for my behavior. I wouldn't change the collective um, love we had in my family for all the riches on the planet. It made us – there was this us-against-the-world mentality that started with my mother – But all three brothers felt it. It was us against the world. And we're seeing so much of that now. You look at the community that's going to be served by the people we elect in these six statewide elections. You look at this community. We have seen we just raised a record amount of money for Phoenix Children's Hospital. We broke a record in a year where the economy is what the economy is. That's an amazing accomplishment from people like you that are willing to dig into their pockets for a worthy cause. We put the call out a couple of weeks ago. Because St. Mary's Food Bank, again, I call them the OG. They're the original food bank. St. Mary's Food Bank, I had a conversation with them, and they said, we are hurting for volunteers. We are pushing emergency food boxes out faster than we can fill them. I just got a text message from somebody at St. Mary's saying their volunteerism is still up. Why? Because we brought it to your attention, and you did what you always do in this community. We rally around each other. If there are working families that have food insecurities and you have a need— We don't want you to feel bad about that. That could happen to anyone. We want you to feel embraced by the community. That's who we are. And we should have an expectation that even though we're going through hard times, and we are, it's difficult. Gas prices are higher here than other parts of the country because of the fuel blend we use. Food is more and more expensive. Housing is more and more expensive. People are hurting. But in spite of that, this community still looks outward. They look to help homeless people. They look to help people in need. 
And those are the people that will be served by the politicians we elect. So we should have a pretty high standard. At the very minimum, we should hold them accountable. We should make sure that they are talking about the issues that matter to us. The personal attacks and the nonsense, that's what it is. It rallies your base. Your base loves it when you kick the other person in the butt. But the rest of us, we need to make sure that whoever we're voting for has our best interest in mind. No one's going to be, I shouldn't say no one, it's going to be a long time before we get another person that communicates like Ronald Reagan. Let's be honest. And if you've not heard it, if you're younger and you've never listened to Reagan's, I used to have Reagan's speeches, I would listen to him because the guy was just amazing. But we should have people that are focused on the issues and telling voters, I understand, and this is what I want to do to make it better. That's when we're going to get better, when we start talking about issues. All right, I'm going to get off my soapbox. What we're going to do coming up in a moment, migrant encounters reach a record at the southern border for a fiscal year. We're going to talk about that issue coming up in just a couple of moments. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the Mike Broomhead Show. Immigration, still a big issue here. Was we crossed 2 million migrant encounters in one fiscal year. 2 million. So we have now have uh, seen the political gamesmanship that's been going on between Texas and Florida and Arizona with the states of Illinois, specifically the city of Chicago, with New York City, with Washington, D.C., with Martha's Vineyard. There is political gamesmanship on both sides of this issue. If one side claims that this is one-sided, they're wrong. Um, when you look at uh, Chicago declared themselves a sanctuary city until people started showing up, they're busing them to the suburbs. So this political gamesmanship has been played for a very long time. So two million migrant encounters, but we're talking about refugees for a moment. Amazon and Pfizer are among the companies pledging to hire 20,000 refugees. The, uh, there are some advocacy groups that are working with uh, a wave of, of Afghans and Ukrainians who have arrived over the last year. The hiring commitments were announced Monday at an event in New York organized by the Tent Partnership for Refugees. I will tell you about my what I love about my country, the country I was born in, this country. When it comes to immigration, we've welcomed people forever. I have on my computer screen the New Colossus, the, 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 the uh, poem at the foot of the Statue of Liberty. And it, 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 I, you know, it's read so many times as a solemn poem. But it is, I think... An emphatic poem where the Statue of Liberty is shaking her fist to steal a line from Toby Keith at the rest of the world. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame with the conquering limbs astride land to land. Here at our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning and her name mother of exiles. That's how it starts. And we are a nation that has welcomed people from all over the world. I think that what makes us great, when you look at booming economies that we've seen in the past, like China, but you see how many of the people make their way as communist Chinese, they leave communist China and they come to America, they come to the American shores to live the American dream. I think our immigration problem shows the greatness of America. It's why I find myself dismayed at times when so many people talk about how horrible this country is. The world wants to come here. 
Do we have issues? We absolutely have issues. We have so many issues that we need to be better at. But let's take a look at who we are. Let's take a look at who we are. Um, at a time where we argue about women's rights, we talk about equal pay, we talk about the pay gap and everything else, and it's arguments that we should and conversations we continue to have. There was a woman recently killed in Iran. I believe she was American, but she was back visiting family in Iran. She was killed by the morality police. Yeah, she was killed by the morality police. So let's take a step back and look at how we've led the world in a, bu- in a bunch of different ways and how we've done it largely with people that have come here from somewhere else. Because if we look at immigration in that way, we also can look at it and say we are a great nation, but we also have to be an orderly nation because we invite people here within our laws. And if you're breaking our laws, you can't have an expectation that you will be treated like immigrants that have come here the right way. That is also a principle we should adhere to that when you come to this country legally and you go through the process, whether it's a, a visa to work or you get a green card and a process towards citizenship, that you walk that process and we welcome you with open arms to the full rights of the American people when you become a citizen. How do we in good conscience say that is such an accomplishment that we see as a compliment to us, but we water it down by saying the people that cross our borders illegally are entitled to the exact same thing? The other side of that coin is also true, and I believe it to be true. We have to have a more fair system of allowing people to come here. The visa lottery, to me, I think is a horrible thing. You mean to tell me it's going to be the luck of the draw? You're going to have a lottery ticket pulled out to see whether or not you get to come to this country, and it's not merit-based? You know, these things are, we can change them. We should have the expectation that they get changed. When you look at some of the the things that have happened around the world and around the country, when you look at the true horrors that are happening at the southern border of the United States, how do we in good conscience look at what's happening and say, this is an America I'm proud of? Women being raped, girls being forced into the sex trade, boys being forced into the gangs and the drug world, the cartels controlling the entire border, fentanyl pills pouring over the border like crazy. We're watching Americans die. We're watching people from other countries die. And we stand around and we fight about whether or not we're good Americans. None of us are doing a good job with this. None of us are doing a good job with this. And Washington, D.C. needs to lead. This is where the president of the United States needs to be held accountable. He is not doing his job. I don't care what political party you're in. This is a disaster at the border. I'll never stop talking about this. Not because I'm a border hawk that wants to build a wall, close the doors, no immigration. Quite the opposite. I've been to the border in Texas. I've been to the border in Arizona. I've seen how it's being handled. I see the plight of the human human beings that are there that are being mistreated treated on their way here, and then they are being treated horribly because of circumstances once they get here, because we don't have the resources to treat them humanely, and we don't have the political uh, gumption to turn people away that don't have a right to be here. We're handling it completely wrong, and we should be better. We are better. We're just not acting like it.
Now, we talked earlier about this, and I want to bring it up again. There is a law that was passed um, that would that would stop people, would disallow people from filming police officers closer than eight feet to a police incident. That law was fought, and there was a stay put in place. The state legislature is not going to fight to enact that law, so it's effectively going to die. We'll talk about the implications next. KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. Uh, We talked earlier about this. The Arizona legislature is not going to defend a law banning the filming of police within eight feet. I I mentioned earlier, I don't understand what the pushback on this law is when they say it's a First Amendment rights violation. And I don't know. Again, I don't know. uh, I am a a fierce defender of the First Amendment. I I believe even if I disagree with you, it it is supposed to protect controversial speech. I don't think I'm ever going to say anything that I have to fight for my First Amendment rights to say. I don't get controversial in that way. I say things that people don't like, but I don't get controversial in the way I speak. At least I haven't yet. And I don't know that I ever will. But it is there to protect controversial speech. And I think it should, because as soon as we start pushing back and everybody uses the old thing, you can't yell fire in a crowded. There's a difference between endangering people. You know, you can't run into a room and uh, yell, you know, I've got a bomb and expect not to get arrested. But that's a different kind of danger we're talking about. So just because there are limits to something doesn't mean that you can continue to push the limits. I've talked about the controversy in the First Amendment that where we've protected it in the past, and we're going to get into a little bit of it in a few moments, but the idea that you're somehow violating somebody's First Amendment right, whether it's the right to assemble or whatever it is, because you can't be within eight feet of a police incident doesn't make any sense to me. And the idea that this was written specifically about videotaping or photographing or whatever, maybe that's what it was for people. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. But I would love to hear from a civil rights lawyer that successfully argued in front of a judge or to hear from a judge why this was a viable, um, in their opinion, a viable question, at least, of whether it violated your First Amendment rights. And I'll give you a couple of examples of what I mean. If you are videotaping an interaction between a police officer and a citizen that they're either questioning or arresting, if you're eight feet away, A, you can still get very clear video and you can get very clear audio of what's being said. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Being any closer than eight feet, I would say for anyone, I want you to think of who you are and put yourself in a position of being a, a law enforcement officer. If you are confronting a suspect and doing investigation or it gets to a point of an arrest and you have to you have to handcuff someone even if it's not a situation where that person is fighting you or resisting you are in a situation and I've I've talked about this many times you talk to a law enforcement officer about what some of the most um Dangerous situations they find themselves in. Domestic disputes are one of the biggest because it's such an emotional, um, emotional thing. One party calls the police and said, uh, "My my boyfriend or my husband or someone, whatever," and I got into a physical altercation. And the police show up. And when the police show up by Arizona state law, if there is um, evidence of a physical altercation, 
somebody has to go to jail. It is no longer, even if the, the person that called the police said, I don't want charges filed, I just want us to be separated for a while, the state intervenes and said, this is no longer your choice. This has to be, this is an arrestable, a mandatory arrest. Well, what ends up happening many times, especially if alcohol or drugs are involved with either party, as they start to take one of the people in uh, into custody, the other one becomes involved in that physical altercation, and which is why police officers understand it's one of the most dangerous situations they can get in. So you mean to tell me that if somebody in that house is standing within four feet, that they are there, first of all, in a safe place, and second of all, that, that being there and videotaping the police is protecting their rights, but if they're told to be eight feet away that now you violated their rights, that doesn't make sense, I think, to any normal person. Nobody wants to see your rights, and nobody wants to see you not be able to to uh, videotape what's going on. I mean this very, very sincerely. Police officers wear body cameras to document how they're treating a suspect and how a suspect is treating them. Now, it is a myopic view, and many times it doesn't tell the full story, but it is a view that the police officers have that they use. So if the cops can tape you, you should be able to tape the cops. The difference is... If you're a bystander to the situation, should you be able to get close enough for a police officer to feel as if they're not safe? I've used this example in this very instance before. There was a young girl, a high school girl, and I'm glad she went away. And I mean this respectfully to a kid. She's a dumb kid. Her parents should have been ashamed of themselves of how they how they raised this girl. That she tried to intervene in the arrest of suspects in a stolen vehicle. She actually went in and tried to grab a cop and pull a cop away. And then when she was pulled away, she punched an officer in the face. And then she made waves like somehow she was a victim. Here's the deal. It was videotaped. And when society saw the video, it didn't bode well for this girl. It it showed what she was doing was wrong and dangerous. So you can get a view and you can make sure, if that's your thing, that you're holding police officers accountable by videotaping every move they make when they're involved with a suspect. You have every right to do that, whether a cop likes it or not. This has been kind of morphing over the years. And I've always said people have a right to videotape. And the good thing about body cameras, which I like police officers and body cameras, is people usually behave better when they know they're being videotaped. That goes for the police officer as well as the suspect. That you realize that that might become evidence in a courtroom. But again, I'll go back to my original question. If you are in public, the example I used earlier was Old Town Scottsdale because that's a big party place. But you go down on Mill Avenue, you know, a bunch of drunk kids. Um, no offense to the people that are in college. You're still a kid to me. You know, um, that a bunch of drunk kids on Mill Avenue and a fight breaks out or someone gets belligerent and a police officer starts trying to calm somebody down and this person won't have any of it. They're belligerent. They're nasty to the cops. And finally... Whoever's in charge on the scene, whether it's a cop by him or herself or a sergeant happens to be on the scene and the sergeant says that person has to go to jail. Now, I have a real life instance that I saw with Phoenix PD where finally a guy was trying to push past the police to get to a suspect and he wanted to beat some guy up. And the police kept saying to him, this is a real situation. Phoenix PD kept saying to this guy, I was standing right there. I was doing a ride along. 
So I wasn't standing right there. I was where I, where I could observe, but close enough. And this guy finally tried to push past a police officer and almost knocked a cop to the ground. And after many verbal warnings and encouraging this guy to go back inside and not to make a big scene, he finally tried to push past a police officer and almost knocked a cop to the ground. The sergeant on the scene said, he's got to go to jail. So when the police went to make the arrest, other people started to get involved. Then it almost turned into a brawl. Is that is that safe? Is that is that a legitimate for you to say I have a right to do this? And I don't believe it is. And I hope, I hope they try to rewrite this law where it has nothing to do with videotaping. You cannot be within eight feet of an officer-involved incident if the officer tells you to stay back. Period. It's officer safety and it's public safety. I just think it's a, it's a wise thing to do. Coming up in a moment, uh, we're going to talk about a brand new Senate bill in New York. You want to talk about frivolous lawsuits. You want to talk about rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic and political overreach. I've got a a fun one for you coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. I get asked all the time who this is singing this song. It's uh, Mac Powell, lead singer from the Christian band Third Day. It's one of his solo songs that he put out called The River. You want to hear a great album and a great uh, Christian album and a guy that just sings. Mac Powell, man, you check him out. He is an amazing guy. Um, So check him out. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, the Mike Broomhead Show podcast is available right now. It's very easy to do on any device you have. And I want to thank my friend Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty East Valley, for sponsoring the podcast this week. You can get a higher price selling your home and guaranteed offers by going to higherprice.com. It's higherprice.com. So I I looked at frivolous things. I I like looking at stuff like this all the time. The city of New York has got enough, or the state of New York, I will say, has enough issues, just like Arizona does. We have, there are certain things, if I were running for a legislative office, I would say that the very first question as a legislator that I would ask about any piece of legislation is, is this any of our business? I mean, that's the first, I think maybe that's the older I get to get a little bit more libertarian in me, but it's the idea of, there are just some things that the government does doesn't need to get involved in. This is one of them. This is a real piece of legislation out of the state of New York. It's called the SIT Act. Standing is tiring. SIT. Standing is tiring. New legislation in Albany hoping to provide some relief for workers who are on their feet all day. They they have sponsored this bill saying she knows firsthand what being on one's feet all day is like. She's been in a registered nurse for several years and said science shows prolonged standing can lead to health problems, injuries, and absenteeism. Making accommodations for employees to have that option to perhaps stand and sit wherever their duties allow them to, I think, is fair and humane. So now I just want you to think about this. The government is going to pass a law in New York, which means there's going to have to be oversight, which also means that employees are going to be able to make complaints, and there's going to have to be investigations, and there's going to have to be defense to this of whether or not and how often you can sit while you work. Now, I will tell you that if they had something like this around here, um, I would say to people, this is a, a blessing in disguise. Because the only thing that ever helped me excel at anything in my life was a work ethic. 
I'm being brutally honest about myself. There is nothing above average about me. Nothing. Um, average height at best, um, average intellect, but I work my butt off. I've promised every boss I've ever worked for, no one will work harder than you do or than I do. And I, I've kept that promise for most of the places I've worked. When I was 15 years old, I lied about my age to get a job because 16 years old was, I'd already been working under the table at a restaurant when I was 12, but I went to work at a legitimate job and lied about my age. And I walked to work. My mother finally said, I'm not, you know, you're working too much. You're not paying attention in school. I walked to work miles, worked all night as a busboy or a, or a cook or a waiter, depending on what that had me, they had me do that night in the restaurant. And then I walked all the way home. And for anybody out there that's willing to do go the extra mile, now is a time in our society where you are going to be the cream of the crop. You don't even have to be that great. You just have to be willing. And that's, you know, these kinds of laws make me laugh. You have people with way too much time on their hands. Now, I, I, there are going to be people that send me messages and say, well, what about this and what about that? Well, then your employer should make an accommodation for you. They shouldn't have to follow some law that says you have to do this or have to do that. And then if they don't think that you're doing it right, that they get to sue you and you've got to answer and you've got to pay a fine. Most employers, the people I work for at this company, they are accommodating. You know, the, the people understand when you have people that work for you, you make accommodations when it's necessary. It just it, that's just what reasonable people do. And if you're not working for someone that's reasonable, go work somewhere else. The idea that the government has to solve every problem, the SIT Act. Are you kidding me with everything else that's going on in the state of New York? Now they want a piece of legislation that forces employers to give you a chair and allow you to sit whenever you think you can to do your job? I mean, it's, it's, to me, it's just such an overreach, but it shows you the mindset of some people. Some people believe that there isn't a problem or an issue out there that the government isn't supposed to solve with some piece of legislation, and now you're going to do it again to employers. It's just, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. And I just think it, 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 it's going to fall flat, and it should. It should. The issues that are facing this country in the state of New York, and they've decided that giving people a place to sit at work by legislation is a solution to a lot of New York's problems. Come on, man. That's just, it's, it's silly. What we're going to do just after 11 o'clock is we are going to go back to talking about the economy, but specifically the headline that says Americans are going to pay dramatically more money in electric bills this year because of the high price of natural gas. The policies that are moving us in that direction. You couple that with also the fact that American crops are not what they had hoped they would be. So the tightening of food supply is also going to keep food prices very high. How many more of these stories can we hear and how long before it breaks the back of many Americans. So we're going to talk about as we move into winter, it doesn't feel like it here, but we are people paying much more in their energy bills to warm their homes. It's coming up next.